The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Rebel Podcast. Pootie, Nate, Garage Mahal, love to be here. So it's a nice, sunny summer day. I feel great about being just alive right You're now. You're also hopped up on vitamin B50 uh, or I'm whatever. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I, I've never actually, I've never taken drugs in my entire life, praise the Lord. It's probably been 25, 20 something years since I've been intoxicated because it was before I was a Christian. Taking the B, vitamin B, though, is like the closest I think I've ever been. So for anybody um, anybody who's wondering what on earth we're talking about, Chris has recently discovered, much because of the, the I, I would say the... The plague? The, the, well, no, the take back healthcare theme that's going on in our church. And there's a lot of people who are getting back into sort of homeopathic care and figuring out how to how to make their bodies work well without having to go to hospitals and stuff. But anyway, Chris is being well taken care of by a contingent of, <laughs> of uh, families in the church. Like, I just watched you take, like, nine pills. Vitamins, vitamins. So, yeah, they're, but, yeah, all vitamins. So you're on, like, you know, just stuff that, I'm like... I'm on it all, baby. <laughs> you got, like, probiotics going on, vitamin B, complex B50, whatever that I is. Iron, C, I got... iron, magnesium, magnesium calcium. Zinc. Yeah, um, you're on all of it. So Quercetrin? I don't even know what that said, does. But that you have, like... Um, even more energy than you normally have. I, you know what's funny? My uh, Heather, we we were at friend's house on Friday, and this is who they recommended I should take the beef, the the vitamin B, because I was like, what else should I be taking here? And Heather was <laughs> like, like I, I need more. I need more. I'm not getting the same high as I was when I first. I need more. No, no, no. I was just like, I was like, what does it do though? Like, because yeah. I would like to know what it. And they were like, oh, it gives you more energy. And it was funny, Heather, my wife, obviously my wife. I don't know. I just told you Heather yep. as well. She was like, oh, you don't need that. Like, cause it's just like, you have enough energy, but I've been taking it and it's delightful, which <laughs> lawn has never looked better. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I'm, 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 uh, we're digressing, but I actually do feel better than I have in like a very long time, just physically. And part of it's cause I like, I sleep better, even though it's the same amount of time. I just yeah. feel like it, like I wake up. Well, magnesium and calcium help with that, right? You take oh, the magnesium calcium pill that helps you stay, stay asleep and, and it be less tossy turny. I take that. Tossy turny? Tossy turny. But here's, okay, here's what I will say though. Do you remember I made an offhanded comment on a podcast a number of years ago about how essential oils were essentially witchcraft? Yes, we got in trouble and for that. We got in trouble for that. Uh, yeah. yeah. And not uncommon to us, but actually, so a friend of, of ours uh, who was a part of our church family who actually moved out east, She's uh, we still consider the New Dwarfs a part of our church family, but uh, they're just out, they're the eastern... Uh, uh, eastern front? It, eastern front, yeah. But Kimberly wrote a really great blog post where she basically took me to task for that in a loving way. We, we love the New Dwarfs, but she basically just said like, what sounds more like witchcraft? 
people who are looking for naturally occurring vitamins and minerals and oils and plants and, and that sort of stuff for uh, preventative medicinal purposes, or those who concoct in their Bunsen burners chemicals under the umbrella of big pharma and gets prescribed to you by a evolutionary doctor who hates God and hates you. I'm like, okay, Kimberly, you win this round. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. And, and I, I just say that to say, like, I would say previous to COVID, I was not like, I kind of made fun of homeopathic care and like non-traditional medicine and, and all that kind of stuff. Not in a, well, I mean, I, I called essential oils witchcraft. I'm still not into the essential oils. I'm just going to throw that out there. But, but I have been convinced that like, there's a whole world of healthcare that I was just ignoring. I was, you know what I mean? I was just like, oh, like, I'll just take a Tylenol for that. And now we don't really keep any of that stuff in the house. So I would I, just say that it, that's one of the many blessings of COVID is just opening your eyes to those sorts of things when you you just weren't looking for it previously. It's like, oh, yeah, our healthcare system is full of people who hate God and hate me. So I probably should be a bit more discerning. Yeah, the, the, the conversation that changed my mind on the list was during COVID. Somebody basically pointed out, I was like, why are you taking that? I was, I think I was taking like Tylenol cold or something. And I was like, I'm not getting any better. I've been taking pills for like five days. And they were like, well, why are you taking pills from a company that's only vested interest? They only make money off you if you keep taking the pills. And I was like, what do you mean? They were just like, what's their goal here to cure? Like, why would they want to cure you? Like they need you to stay on this so that you can continue to take the pills. So there's no vested interest in them actually fixing the problem. It's symptom modification. All of a sudden I was like, you're right. <laughs> it's like, and so, and the tinfoil hat was firmly placed on your head. And, and yeah, yes. But it's funny. I, on the, the same conversation on Friday, they were just like, "Oh, what are you taking?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm taking this pill." And they were like, "Well, what's in it?" I'm like, I don't know. Jan gave it to me, and he told me I should take it. And and they were just like, "Hold on." So you won't take like they were like, "You won't take the vax." And I'm like, "No," because the government tells you you should take it, and it's good for you. I'm like, I'm like that's correct. And they're like, "But, but people in your church can just walk up and hand you pills," and you're like, "How many do I take?" And, and I was like, "Yes." Because I trust them. <laughs> because they are family and they love me. Because they love um, me. They're rest yeah. in just You should probably know healthy. what you're eating, but I do hear you. Like all that kind of stuff, just in terms of like even like GMO foods, like all that kind of stuff. It was just an area where I recognized that there were legitimate claims that people had, but I just kind of lumped everybody into like vegan category. So I just disregarded them. I'm like, oh, you you take herbal medicine. You, you must be a vegan, right? They probably like, do cross. <laughs> right. Anyway. I would say that holistic health has, has been a much uh, a greater emphasis, I would say, at the church in, in my house uh, in recent times. So. This, this is the beauty of us when we get talking. We just wasted like five and a half minutes about something we weren't even going to talk about. Yeah. Like so, <laughs> so for all of our listeners who didn't hit forward by 30 seconds until they got to this point. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we are the Rebels. We're back here. Sorry for the last couple of weeks without content. Um, I actually had some surgery, speaking of uh, uh, hospitals and, and big, uh, big pharma. You know, I had to repair a, a, a bicep tendon that had got detached. So I had Nate had Tommy John. surgery. Yeah, I had Tommy John surgery. He had Tommy John surgery. So, um, yeah, it's it's all that uh, pitching at high levels that I've been doing, you know. The, the dream of the major leagues is gone now. I know. That's I know. I'll never, I'll never. I, I was still holding out hope. I mean, I'm, I'm not 40 yet. And so I just assumed that one day I was going to get the call. <laughs> <laughs> We've all watched Dennis Quaid in the veteran or is it? No, the rookie. Sorry, the rookie. Um, Nate thought he'd be closing games for the Jays. I, for sure. Hundred percent. But, but uh, it's not going to happen, man. 
It's not going to happen, sadly. Uh, and as I uh, deal with that fact, uh, we are going to be talking today about marriage. Actually, we're going to be talking about marriage for probably at least the next three episodes. Sure. And we want to just kind of lay some foundation for why. I would just say that what one of the things we've talked at nauseum about this, so we don't have to go into great detail, but there's been a great influx of people at our church over the last couple of years. And I would say that one of the things that our church does is emphasize the importance of family, the importance of husbands, the importance of, of uh, wives, of parenting, but at the center of all that is marriage. And I've often said that the family of families, the household of God, the church, is only ever as strong as the families that comprise it. And, and, and every family, even when we say that word, I mean, a family consists of a husband and wife coming together, right? The two shall become one flesh. That's a family. We often think of family as like, oh, when are you going to start your family? That's a, a common question for people who are married without kids. And it's just like, uh, we have a family, right? Like, praise God if he adds kids to it, right? We, we ought to, but we are a family. Chris and Heather are a family, right? Like, all that to say, marriage is sort of at the center of so much. And because we emphasize it so much at the church, and we emphasize, you know, husbands fulfilling their role to lead well within their home, to take dominion, wives to be homemakers, all this kind of stuff. Uh, what we've seen, without naming any names, is we would just say that there's a whole lot of families who, uh, number one, you can't stay in a church like ours very long without knowing and being known. And so the, the more people get to know and get integrated into the community, I think the more highlights of kind of cracks in the foundation begin to be exposed. And, and I don't say that in a pejorative sort of way. I think that's actually a good thing, right? We ought not to go to church and sort of hide the skeletons in our closet. Church is the place where we all come with scuffed up knees and elbows, uh, looking for the grace and the community required for God to mold and shape us into the men and women that we want to be. Yeah, like marriage, church should should help you be sanctified, right? So Amen. it should highlight those areas that you're needing help with, need somebody to help you pull through, just like marriage does, right? Exactly, exactly. So I would say, number one, there's that. There's people who have been coming, they're integrated into the community. Ours is not a church, I don't think, that you can come and hide very well and just kind of show up on Sundays without eventually getting kind of exposed and invited and, and brought into the community. So there's that. And then the other side of things is I would say there's a whole lot of families who are just buying what's being preached from the pulpit and preached through the leadership and, and taught through the small groups and through the discipleship. And that is a whole lot of husbands who are looking and saying, okay, I know now that I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm not the, the husband or the father or the leader that I ought to be. Where do I start? Or you have women, and or sometimes both at the same time, who are going, okay, my husband isn't quite leading, but I, I, I can see, so how can I help him begin to become the man of God that he's called to be? So all that to say, we just wanted to kind of press the pause button because this podcast primarily is for us shepherding our people, and we're thankful that it goes out beyond that and that it's a blessing to other people, but we want this to be helpful to people. So as we're see, starting to see those needs, we want to take a pause for a couple of weeks and try to just touch on marriage. Yeah? Sounds great. Fair. All right. Well, we should always start where I think at the center and at the foundation. And uh, I would just say the big question that we can ask today is, okay, what is marriage? What is marriage? What's the purpose of marriage? What's the telos of marriage? Where do we find it in scripture and, and what's it all about? And I, obviously we see in uh, Genesis chapter one, we see that God creates man in his image, in the image of God. He creates them male and female. He created them. So he creates man and, and woman equally, his image bearers. But in chapter two, as we see the sort of zoom in on day six of creation, when God creates Adam and Eve, he creates them 
differently. He creates Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathes life into him. He gives him the cultural mandate, tells him to take dominion, tells him to uh, that he can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at the center of the garden, and then tells him to name the animals. And so just as a side note, what we see in the creation account in Genesis 1 is that God is bringing order to chaos. He's created the stuff, you know, of the universe, and it says the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the deep, and then God goes in and he begins to divide, and he sets boundaries. He divides the, the beasts of the field from the birds of the air, from the fish of the sea. He divides the water and the dry land. He, he divides the heavens and the earth. He makes all these divisions and sets all these boundaries, creating boundaries and order in the midst of chaos. And then he tells Adam, now go off into a, the animal kingdom, right? Like, I'll bring these animals to you, and you now get to, as my image bearer, take authority over over the, the world that I've given to you and begin to name all of the animals, which is a claim of ownership, right? Naming something shows your authority over it. But then on top of that, it's like divide, begin to divide the animal kingdom into kinds and into subcategories and begin to name them. And so he's giving him the work of creation. But in all of that, Adam doesn't find a helper fit for him. And so God creates an, a helper fit for him out of Adam's side. And of course, when God takes, so it says in verse 21 of chapter 2, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So there's sort of the foundational uh, thing. What are some things that we see as we just kind of read that foundational God institution of marriage? What are some big ideas that we can pull out of that? Yeah. First one, uh, man was created to, to have a task before the woman even came into existence, I would say. Yep. Um, and so what, what is that task? It's, it's God's work. God gave him a task to do, take dominion, name the animals. And then the woman was created to assist him in, in the building of the kingdom. Um, so I would say, first and foremost, if we're, if we're pulling back and saying, what does a marriage look like? It, it should be a marriage that's working towards building the kingdom, Yep. As a as a unit, with the man taking the lead in that in that role, and the woman assisting him in whatever task he's been called to do in in working in the kingdom, she's the helper. I think we have this weird anti biblical view of of that man and woman are two ships that are coming alongside together to to get to a destination. When it's like yep. no no, it's one ship together, one flesh, one venture. The man's the captain of the ship, and the and the woman's the first mate. First mate, I, I, I was like, what's what's lower? Is it Admiral? <laughs> no, like, I was like, and they're working together wherever that ship is going, as long as they're working to, to, for, towards the goal. I would say that's the first thing that d- yeah. jumps out at that. Uh, and and it's interesting because I would say that the world's view of marriage is that idea of like, he has goals and dreams and aspirations and she has goals and dreams and aspirations. And so your job in finding a spouse is to find somebody whose dreams and goals and aspirations match yours. And I would say there's like everything that's untrue. (laughs) There's some truth to that. But um, what I would say is that no, 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 because God gave the dominion mandate to the man and also gave him the task and God's law. Remember that it was just Adam that he said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the, the middle of the garden. So the expectation to Adam was that he would communicate the mission 
and the law of God, the mission of God and the law of God to his wife Eve in the garden because she was created afterwards after that that uh, divine revelation that was given to Adam. So his goal, his job was then to bring her into the mission and explain to her God's expectation and law within the mission, the boundaries that God had placed within it. Very practically, so dating advice, if a young lady you're looking 100%. for a man, if he can't articulate his mission in this world, what he's what he's intending to do. And I'm not saying it's never going to change or alter or anything, but if he can't, if that's not his focus, if his focus isn't like, here's how I'm going to work to build the kingdom. Yep. That's not a ship you want to tie yourself to. That's exactly, that's exactly right. And I wouldn't even say, remember, cause you, you don't mix your metaphors there because you're not tying your ship to theirs, right? You're jumping in onto his ship. Like that's the whole point, right? So you so, hate, a, you hate a mixed metaphor. I do. <laughs> So um, the idea there is you're exactly right, is is what should young women who are looking for a prospective spouse look for? A man who has a mission, a man who knows what his life is about. Now, now, don't get me wrong. You might meet when you're quite young and he might not have an idea of what his vocation is going to be. Absolutely. But vocation and mission are very are different things, right? How you pay the bills is different than your mission in life. Now, they're not ex- mutually exclusive, right? Your vocation is a part of your mission, but it's not it's not the mission. Your mission is to take dominion of the world around you, the sphere that God has placed you in, whatever that vocation is, and your job is to fulfill the great commission within the sphere of influence that God has placed you in. So a man who cannot articulate his mission is a man that is unmarriable in the eyes of a young woman who is looking for a spouse. Amen. Um, and then the man should be able to communicate that mission to her and direct her how this is going to go. That's like, right her role in that, which always everybody, everybody just all of a sudden cringed. But yeah. like, truthfully that like that, what did, what did Adam knew his mission and had to communicate the rules of that mission to Eve yep. so that they didn't fall away from that. Now, obviously the failure and we, how many times have we said on this podcast of the, the failure in the garden of Eden was Adam failed to lead That's correctly, right. communicate the direction, communicate what's the process so that she can be equipped to help in the way that she's God has designed her to do. That's right. And just any women who did cringe at that, I just want to talk to you for a moment. And it is interesting because oftentimes, remember we did, I think we did a, a couple episodes on, on marriage not that long ago, like a year Probably. and a bit ago or whatever, where we were just kind of talking about role, specifically roles within marriage, right? And and the one that we were talking about, the women's role, we were like, oh man, this was, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get some backlash on this, but actually the women responded much really well to it, right? But there is, there is like, you do have to battle the feminism that's been, um, um, absorbed by osmosis in our culture, in your mind, that would that would denigrate the role of helper and make it not as glorious as God intends it to be. Because remember that throughout his ministry, Jesus is constantly saying, I don't do my will, I do the, the will of the Father who sent me, right? So even in, in Christ, you get this picture of um, functional subordination, and I'm using that word, I'm using that language intentionally, I'm sure we'll get some questions about that, but you, you get this idea where, where Jesus is obeying the will of the Father, that he is carrying out the mission of God, he is in submission to his heavenly mandate, and all of those are pictures within the triune nature of God of what a husband and wife relationship ought to be. A woman's role as a helper is actually a, a glorious thing. The recognition as well that, that when God God says, it's not good that man should be alone, let me make a helper suitable for him. That language of helper suitable for him is this recognition that God created man 
and man was incapable of fulfilling the mission of God on his own. And so a woman it was required, not only for the physical chemistry of being fruitful and multiplying, but also because by her nature and how God created her, she comes alongside the, the man and makes it possible for him to take dominion. Well, how does he do that? So I would say that a man's posture within the family ought to be outward towards the world. A man's role in his marriage is that he is focused outward. He is leading his wife into mission. He is leading his wife into the world. He is representing his family to the world. He is also protecting his wife from the world, right? So there's a sort of posture where she's along behind him, holding his hand as he forges out, taking dominion in the culture and the spheres that God has placed him in. The woman's focus is inward. So she's not she's not oriented outward like he is. She's oriented inward. And the idea here is that as man takes dominion, and picture it just as Adam and Eve, right? So God God places Adam in the garden, and the garden is, is, is in perfect order. Because God made it, it perfectly reflects God's godly rule and reign in the world. It's order, it's tranquility, it's peace, and he puts man there, and he says, now go and make the rest of the world. People sometimes think that the world was created like Eden. No, no, no. Eden was a garden that God planted in the midst of a a wild chaos of, of a world, right? The rest of the world was untamed wilderness. And Adam's job was to take the blueprint of Eden and go into the world and make the rest of the world look like Eden. So as he goes out conquering, right, as he goes out subduing the world, as he goes out taking dominion of the world, the wife's role was to cultivate life where he had conquered, right? So he takes the ground and her job is to cultivate life within the ground that has been taken. And the reason, and this is why like, I, I just get so frustrated when feminism seeps in because women don't look at this view as glorious. A man who continually conquers is like Alexander the Great. There's the, uh, the, the fable where he, uh, at the end of it, it says he sat, sat down and wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. Why is that? Because Alexander the Great got the thrill of conquering. But the problem and why the entire Greek empire fell apart when Alexander the Great died is because nobody cultivated Greek culture well enough over the conquered worlds that that there was all this division because Alexander the Great, as great and unifying as a leader as he was, nobody was as strong a leader as him. So when he died, nobody could take up the mantle and continue to go. He died because there was no more worlds to conquer. And he didn't have the mentality. Well, why is that? That's just a good microcosm, a good picture of what men do. Men are meant to be assertive, domineering. Men are, are meant to be aggressive. That's what testosterone does. Testosterone makes men aggressive and assertive, and that's a good, glorious thing. But it's a good and glorious thing when it's tempered by the femininity of a woman who has his heart, who also has a heart to cultivate life and community and to maintain peace where he has brought the conquering sword. Yeah, absolutely. And notice what you said there, like the complementary skills, right? So if he's aggressive, she's non-aggressive. You know right. what I mean? Like, he is assertive and she is timid, right? Yeah, like, the, and, exactly. and these are God-given qualities. And that doesn't mean that there aren't women out there who are more assertive than men. Like, I, I get that these are generalities, but they're also generalities that ought to, like a woman who is by nature assertive, takes initiative, that's a good thing. God created that. But, but some of that is also sin that needs to be tempered. And men who are by nature timid and fearful and not assertive are men that ought to put that sin to death and, and generate the godly qualities of being assertive. The idea of opposites attract, right? right. Like It's interesting you brought up Mazar, because in our, in our culture, I would say the timid, self-loathing, 
non-aggressive man is the celebrated person in our in yeah. our culture today. Well, I don't forgive them. It, it, I do. I do understand why so many men who like have come to our church or I'm um, just that we bump into and talk about this. It's almost like rearing like a complete culture shock when we're like, no, you, you actually need your masculinity is a good thing. Yeah. It's good that you're ambitious and, and things like that because it's that's been beaten into our men basically from birth that obviously against stereotyping, not every single one, but even through TV, through books, literature, all of those traits are evil and they're wrong. Like, yeah. And it's like the idea is like, no, no, those things are, are good, godly things. Two things can happen. Either we, we transfer all of that authority and all of that to a woman, and then she has to play a role that she wasn't designed to play. That's right. Which is never going to lead to a peaceful heart, a peaceful life for her. No. And then two, it, it's neutered the man in that relationship so that everything's out of, out of whack. And then they, when they start to produce kids and produce a family, as we so to speak, we just circular make the generations even weaker and weaker and weaker. I often make the joke like, I think a, a man from 1930, like 30-year-old guy, would look at most of our men today and be like, they're not men. Totally. <laughs> like, we're just like, and, that, and that's only I, seven I'm years ago. I'm convinced that you would take the average tradesman in 1930 and they'd beat the crap out of all the UFC fighters in modern, <laughs> in modern North America. <laughs> like, I just, you know what I mean? I, cause I do, I do think that there was like a, a quality, like a masculine quality that has been lost. Yeah. And I think what, what ends up happening in some ways is that when you start talking about that, you have, men and women who will say, oh, you're, you're glorifying a culture that was abusive to women and denigrating to women, all that kind of stuff. Uh, look, I, I get that there were um, some abusive men who, who domineered in the home rather than served in the home, all that kind of stuff. But I would just say you're doing exactly what the enemy wants you to do, and that is throwing out the baby with the bathwater, right? You are, you're saying because of these few cases, that's, that's not unlike, that argumentation is not unlike, oh, we should allow abortion because there are cases of rape and incest, right? So I would just say, no, 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 there are, you know, anyway. Sin is always, has been a problem since the beginning. So yes, there is that aspect of like, somebody can take this too far and then all of a sudden they become a tyrant and we're not calling men to be tyrants. We talk about this sometimes that like we'll discipline somebody in the church for being a wuss man as much as we would be being a tyrant. Yeah. Being a tyrant's just as much sin as, as the other. It's the staying in between, staying on the road, not falling into the church on, on either side, which is what we're called we're called to do. How much in so much in our faith is is that way, right? Like yeah. you can take everything just slightly too far and then all of a sudden now it's sinful. Yeah. Or you can choose to not do it and that's sin, sinful too. We're called to be middle rotists, I guess would be the like, <laughs> yeah. um, analogy there. But, and manhood's one of those things, right? Like you can totally. take it way, way too far. So the, the big question that I have for you then, Pastor Nate, for the record, it's weird when I call you that, how do we get it back? So <laughs> we've lost it. Yeah. How do we start cultivating manhood back into our, into our men in our church without just telling them to go be tyrants? Cause that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying at all. No. So I would say there's a lot of practical ways. So the way we want to take this, or at least the way that it's going on in my head right now. So the next two weeks, we're going to talk about sex and mission. And I think that those are two things that in terms of marriages, marriages need to get those two things right. So we want to talk about those two things. But uh, we want this to be practical for you as well. So I would say in terms of inspiring you to the change, we'll talk about sex, we'll talk about mission, which I think if you get those two things right, a lot more things fall into place. But what I would say is to reclaim biblical masculinity, we need to see portraits of masculine men. 
right? At the end of the day, when our examples for decades have been Homer Simpson and, you know, Raymond from Everybody Loves Raymond and the boy men of Friends and the boy men of Seinfeld and, the, you know, when these have been the, the cultural icons for a long time, we, of course, we don't have any idea what manhood is because it's been so denigrated in the culture and the, all, all of our examples. And quite frankly, we also, you and I grew up in, the, in what was the, the most fatherless generation in North American existence. And uh, the culture now, the teenagers that you, that you're working with at, at the church are growing up in, a, in an even more fatherless generation. So the the examples are 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 not there. So I would say if you're sitting there and you're just saying, I just don't know where to start. If you're some of these families that we have in mind from our church who are going, okay, I hear the call from the pulpit, I hear the challenge, but I just don't know where to go. First and foremost, get into community with the kinds of men that you want to be. And that's not to say that they've figured it out or that they're perfect, but we always, 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 it's the old adage, right? If you are Paul, right, have a Barnabas and find a Timothy. That's that whole idea. And so in the church, every single person in the church should be engaged in discipleship with a a man who is further along in his role of sanctification than you are and with a a man who is is behind. And, And women, exact same thing. So spend time with a man whose uh, masculinity is appealing to you. If it's not appealing to you, then first and foremost, you have to have your mind changed. And you can do that a number of ways. You have to steep yourself in the Word of God. You pray yeah. for right. You pray for the desires. I think uh, the church has done a disservice to what I would call effeminate men. Whether these be men who struggle with same-sex attraction or not, it doesn't matter in this particular way. If you are an effeminate man who is not drawn to the kinds of masculinity um, that we're talking about here, then the first thing you have to do is pray for your desires to be changed. And I would also say, like I say to a lot of people about a lot of things concerning marriage, and we'll probably talk about this in the next couple of weeks, is fake it till you make it. And I don't mean that to, to be crass or, or, to, or whatever. What I mean by that is that you are to pursue masculinity. And even if you are not drawn to the kind of masculinity that we're talking about, being an assertive man, being a protective man, being a provider, even if you aren't naturally drawn to that, you are commanded to pursue those things, become that kind of man, and the trust that the Spirit of God will work the affections into you along the way. So just because you don't have the desire to do it, man, we live in such a wussy generation. Like how many people just don't do what they should do because they just don't want to. I don't want to do that. That's too hard. That's too whatever. They might not even communicate that to them, but at the end of the day, they're not doing things just because they don't want to. Like whatever happened to duty, right? Like just do your duty. And so as as men, we are commanded to lead. We are commanded to be assertive. We are commanded to provide for our families. We are commanded to protect, be the kinds of men who protect our families. And so if you can't do those things, aren't doing those things, then begin to do them in whatever way that you can and pray that the affections and, and everything follow. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? Absolutely. So it's, Act like ju- men, he says. Exactly. We're, ju- we're just applying that same thing to you find a guy, find a man that you respect in your church that's doing this right. And fake it till you make it. F- imitate what he does until until these things become natural to you. Um, because the truth is, like just like we put our sin nature to death, this is sin nature, right? So yeah. you're retraining your body, you're retraining your mind to put the the wussy man away, so that you become the man that you were actually designed to be. Yeah. Um, and I would also say, like, remember to go to the word to get your examples, if, like, yeah, amen. of of what real men men look like, because. What we're not saying is that a, a real man can't 
be a poet or anything like that. And we'll, yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Like yeah. David, David was the a warrior man. poet. <laughs> exactly. But he was, he was, he wrote the Psalms and he killed Goliath, right? Like, yeah. um, we're not saying that there's, um, the Gary Carter is the only version <laughs> of the, of this, right. right? So, um, Jesus is the most manly man that's ever been manned. Sure. Um, <laughs> the most manly man who ever manned. <laughs> who ever manned. And he wept when his friend died. Yeah. We see him with great, emo- with great, great emotion, emotion yeah. um, but he never takes it. But it's never, so, so it never just drives th- him. Like, right. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say is like, one of the things that I would say is a masculine quality that too few men pursue is the ability to control their emotions. At the end of the day, a man who is a fortress, right? A, 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 a rock, a wall, so to speak that I'm not talking, I'm not saying emotionless. I'm saying that your emotions are dictated and controlled by your convictions, not the other way around, right? Absolutely. And I think there's far too many men who are just at the whim of their emotions. And so their wife makes a snide comment, their kids misbehave, they feel disrespected, and they they completely unravel. Like they're a wall that's made up of all these pebbles that just kind of shatter the moment they feel disrespected because they just can't deal with rejection, they can't deal with challenge, they can't deal with disrespect. And I would say a, a first thing that men ought to pursue is the sort of stability and security that's required to be a man who is not controlled by his emotions. That's self, be self-controlled, right? Sober, and we often think of sober-minded as just not intoxicated, but it also means just be clear, like a clear thinker. Right. In um, other words, you, don't let your emotions cloud your thinking. Ex- Sorry, exactly. No, no, no. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say. So you're not driven by your emotions. We recognize that they're real. I understand times where I get angry and it's like, but it doesn't, it doesn't overrule my brain. It doesn't overrule my my desire, which is to be clear-headed and self-controlled, and self-controlled, right. so that when pebbles are being thrown at me or whatever, it doesn't cause me to be reactionary and pro I'm proactive in those things. Right. And I and I, I like that you said about the security because I would say if you if you had to ask me what the the biggest problem in manhood today would be would be insecure. Absolutely, like we have an entire generation of people who are completely insecure yep. about everything they, they do, everything they say, even when they're saying the right things, there's yep. an insecure uh, level of insecurity that men just possess. And that's just when somebody's a secure person, it's infectious to everybody around them. Yeah. That, that man is somebody who's able to be followed. You know what I mean? And so one thing that I would say here as we're laying the foundation for the next couple of episodes is that um, you might feel like we're talking a lot to the men and that that's by design. Remember, we're, we, our foundation here is Genesis 2. God has given the mission, the mandate. He is, he's created Adam first and, and the wife comes in and joins herself to the man in, in terms of his mission and his calling. It's interesting, right? Because when sin comes in to the relationship, it is Eve who sins, right? She is the one who commits a sin, but Adam is there, right? So the primary sin is his. He fails to protect. He fails to lead. He fails to slay the serpent who is uh, threatening his wife. And so her, her, though she sins, and the New Testament makes this clear, right? It was Eve was deceived first, but Interestingly, when God comes down, he calls Adam first, right? He doesn't call for Eve first. He calls for Adam because he recognizes that Adam is the leader. This is primarily his issue for failing to take dominion of the garden. First of all, he should have cast that that serpent out of the garden immediately. He should have been there to protect his wife. He should have been there to protect her from herself and from the serpent. So God comes down, he calls Adam, 
And as he comes down and calls Adam, you immediately see Adam begin to shift blame, right? The woman that you gave me, right? So he's blaming God for making the woman, and he's, he's blaming the woman for sinning. And I would say that that's just, just in terms of very, very practically, one of the things that men need to remember is what the first step is of having a healthy family, a healthy marriage. Men, take responsibility. Amen. Right? Your marriage and the state of your marriage is your responsibility. I don't care how awful she is. I don't care how disrespectful she is. I don't care how ungodly she is. I don't care. All of those things. I get it. But my point is, that's your problem, because God has put you in that marriage, and you are commanded to lead. And you might say, well, she doesn't want to be led. Still on you, buddy. Still on you. You've entered into a covenant with this woman, and your covenant before God is that you are going to lead her, which means you need to learn how to lead her, even if she doesn't want to be led. Yeah, and and that's what Paul's getting at when he's like, uh, marriage, I tell you a mystery. Marriage is is a reflection of Christ in the church. So just like Christ... The man takes responsibility for it, for all the sins in the household, even the sins he didn't commit. We are, we're not saying women are, aren't without sins, but the man takes responsibility for those sins, just like Christ took responsibility for all the sins he didn't commit on the on the cross right. for all of us. Because that's the picture. It's that's self-sacrificial. Picture. Yep. It's, it's husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, right? And, exactly. and, and for for what purpose? To what end? To sanctify her, yeah, right? Exactly. To, to present her without blemish or wrinkle or any such thing. Man, your primary responsibility is to stand before the Lord and give an account for how well you led and sanctified your wife and whatever kids God adds to your family. Yeah, and so here's a practical step. If you're a man who's sitting here being like, okay, how do I start? Okay, sit down, and you can do this alone. Sit down, write down everything that's wrong in in your family, every sin that's happening in your family, everything you guys have noticed. And go and repent to your wife for not there for not go. for these problems being being an issue, and take ownership of the fact that these are your responsibility, which also means they're then your responsibility through the power of the Spirit to fix. That's right. Admit them and repent of them, and then start changing. Yeah. Them. So and and that's a perfect place to to kind of end this episode because if people listen to this, this is the primary thing. If you are looking at your marriage, and it is not what you know is to reflect God's glory and the mystery of, of the indwelling Christ in the church, make that list of all the things that are wrong in your marriage. Take responsibility. Repent first and foremost to God for your inability to take responsibility for those previously, and then go to your wife and repent to her of, of your inability to follow those things. Because that does a couple things. Number one, it shows her that you are thoroughly looking at the ways in which you failed in this marriage, you are leading the way by repentance. And, and I would just say to you, like 99% of the fights that, uh, that I've gotten into in, in my marriage with Colleen, I think we have a great marriage, but 99% of the fights that we get you, into... You guys don't fight. <laughs> we don't fight. But when there has been conflict in the marriage, amazingly, the moment somebody repents, both hearts are softened. Now I'm talking about true repentance, not the... I'm sorry that I haven't been leading you, yeah. but you have to know that I work an awful lot and I don't feel, no, no, that's the, not repentance. An, an apology that's with an a but, exactly. An apology with any kind of but in there isn't an apology. Right. You're just doing what Adam said. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have done that, yeah. God, but the it, woman that you gave me. It, interesting enough, God has created men to lead that we should have authority in the home and the women, what's the Genesis 3? The women's going to crave that power. Every single time you shift blame, even if it's not to her, if you shift blame off of you, 
be like, oh yeah, but I worked too much or, you know, I, this I happened, hard, but, but I, you know, I, did, I couldn't have seen the market do this. Like yep. every single time you shift blame to say it's not, it's just not my fault. You've surrendered authority. Yeah authority for that whereas if you take responsibility every single time you take responsibility for for something you're actually bringing that authority back on yourself and at the end of the day one of the things we're saying here is that men should have the authority in the home and the one of the ways that that transfers and gets corrected is by you taking ownership of all the of all the things that have have happened and so once you start doing that the authority gets pushed back to you you know what i mean so she'll start surrendering that authority Back to you because you've surrendered it to her in the first place. Yeah, so let's just talk to the women real quick before we go. Because what I would say, there might be a wife who's listening to this and just saying, oh, man, I wish my husband was listening to this episode, right? Because I you know, I, I want nothing more than for him to take this sort of responsibility. And, and I would just say any godly woman who is sitting under good teaching will desire to be led by a godly man. I think there's, a, there's an innate woven into the fabric of the universe, God has created women who are godly and who are being sanctified to crave following a strong, godly man. They don't want to be led by a, a wuss, but they want to be led by a strong, godly man. So anyway, if you're uh, that and you're listening, then and then here's what you can do. You can lead the way in this particular thing. And, and what I would say to that is, is you can make your own list and you can go to him and you can repent of all of the ways in which you have been trying to take on authority, trying to whatever. And I'm just saying, like, men, if you're listening to this, take the lead. But women, if you're listening and your man isn't listening with you, then I would go to him and I would say to him, you know, I'm sorry for all of these things that I've done. And I would just say, if the Holy, if the Spirit of God is working within him, then that's an opportunity for the Spirit to convict him. And he, he would just say, it's not your fault, it's mine. But even if it doesn't lead to that sort of, like, like very naked, transparent conversation, then it might at least beg the question and he would say, where's this all coming from? And you could just say, I just listened to this podcast and it's, and, and then, and then he listens, right? And then you just say, and, and maybe you should listen to it. Now, husbands, if, if you are listening to this because your wife sent it to you, don't take offense to that. It just means, this is what it means. It means she wants you to be the man of God that God wants you to be. And that is a good and a glorious thing for your wife to want. So don't use that as a stick to beat her with. Don't beat her with any sticks. Well, let's take responsibility and recognize where you've fallen short because there is grace when repentance is, yeah. is taking place. Be secure enough that you're okay with Amen. her challenging your things. That's right? it. That's like, right. That's exactly right. So. That's, it is not disrespectful for your wife to confront your sin. She can do it in a disrespectful way, but it is not disrespectful. It's actually, that's a glorious wife. A glorious wife helps protect her husband from sin in a variety of ways. We'll get into some of them in the next couple of weeks. But Okay. Wrap, wrap that one? You let's got, wrap that you're one. All, you're all fired up, so let's yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll see, see you next you week. <laughs>